if you were here last week, uh, you heard me tell you that next Sunday, which is Mother's Day, we are going to be having a morning here at Westridge that we're calling Compassion Sunday. Um, as you saw from the video, 25,000 kids die each day all around the world from preventable illnesses like malaria, uh, lack of clean water, malnutrition, uh, just so many things that you and I here in the States, we never have to worry about. Uh, it's crazy to think that over half of our world lives on less than $2 a day, that there are people living in extreme poverty in places in the world that um, you and I, man, we, we have no concept of what's that lo- what that's like. And I don't know if you've had a chance to travel outside the country much to uh, any third world countries and to see firsthand the impact that poverty has on the lives of people, but it's absolutely heartbreaking. And so I've been telling my staff and some of our key leaders here at Westridge, like I want us to be a church that focuses on uh, the community in which God has blessed us, but I also want us to be a church that carries hope and good news to our entire world because Jesus himself told us to do that. And so next Sunday, we have a really easy opportunity to do just that. Compassion International is this amazing organization that goes all over the world, and they find children who desperately need hope and desperately need help. And they come to people like you and me, who typically have way more than we need uh, as we live here in America, and they ask us to sponsor a child for 38 bucks a month. Uh, to provide that child clean water, to provide that child medicine for diseases or illnesses that they may have, to provide that children uh, or that child uh, clean and nutritious food, and most importantly, to give that child an education in which they hear the good news about Jesus, who he is, and what he's done for them. And so next Sunday, um, we're going to have 200 sponsorship packets here in this building, and we're going to present our case as to why we should go out and sponsor these kids. And at the end of the service, I'm not going to ask you to pray about it. We're not going to have any um, response. Let's sing a song. I'm going to ask you to walk right out of the doors and go sponsor a kid, all right? And so I want you to be here. It's going to be an amazing morning. Uh, We're also going to talk next Sunday about missions, world missions, and what that's going to look like here uh, for our church as we move forward. And I've also told you, if you were here last week, that I'm going to present next Sunday to our church, an unreached people group from Burkina Faso, a country that we work in in West Africa, that you and I, as this church here in Cartersville, are going to commit to pour into. We're going to clean water, or we're going to drill clean water wells. We're going to send teams. We want to plant churches, train pastors, all in an attempt to carry the good news of Jesus to these people who have no access to that news so that they can be removed off the unreached people groups list. 27 unreached people groups in this one country, and we want to start going after just one. So be here next week, life-changing morning for our church, and, uh, and I'm convinced that you'll leave impacted. So be here. Tell everybody that you know that attends Westridge regularly to be here. And moms, uh, we won't forget about you. We have some great spa packages to give away, and we want to send you away feeling loved on. So be here. All right? Well, let's do this. Let's grab our Bibles, uh, and let's go to Galatians 5 together, or if you have a device with a Bible app on it, go ahead and turn your Bible on, and let's go to Galatians chapter 5 together. Have you ever talked to someone about Jesus and a relationship with him, and I heard them say back to you something like this, uh, I can't give my life to Jesus, I can't become a follower of Jesus, because if I do that, I'm going to have to give up way too much. Like, in other words, what they're saying is, if I give my life to Jesus, I am going to lose my freedom. 
You ever heard somebody say something like that? Like, I mean, I've been in ministry almost 12 years, and uh, a lot of that time, 10 plus years, was spent in student ministry. And so I've had a lot of these conversations along the way with people who would say things like, uh, if I follow Jesus, I can't sleep with whoever I want to sleep with anymore. If I follow Jesus, I can't party anymore. If I follow Jesus, like, I have to give up all my friends, and they're fun, and I love hanging out with them. And uh, so I don't know if I want to follow him because I lose freedom. To a lot of people in our world, being a follower of Jesus equates less fun and less freedom, right? And maybe you're here this morning, and like you're a person that believes that. Maybe you walked in because somebody promised you free lunch or whatever. You know, this is new for you, and you're sitting here thinking to yourself, you know, I walked in the door, um, already have, and I already made my mind up that I'm not making any kind of decision to do anything with what I hear today because I know what it's going to result in. I'm going to be lonely, I'm going to be miserable, I'm going to be depressed because God is a God who wants to make me a slave and he just wants to boss me around and tell me what to do and that's no fun and that's not free and I don't want to live that life. Well, I just want you to hear from me this morning. If that's you, my goal is to send you out of this room um, with a different belief in the freedom that God wants to offer you today. Like I pray all of us walk out of here and truly understand the freedom that is ours because of Jesus just a little bit more. So I want you to look down, Galatians chapter 5, verse 1, and I just want us to read the first part of this verse together. Okay, look at what Paul has to say. He said, for freedom, or in some of your Bibles it may say, it is for freedom, that Christ has set us free. So let me just unpack that for a moment. If you've been here over the course of this series, the last several weeks, we've been talking about the fact that Christ has set us free. And what has he set us free from? Just to put it simply, he set us free from having to be perfect people in order to be loved and accepted by God. Like he set us free from this impossible pursuit of trying to be moral people, good people, having to follow rules in order to convince God that he should love and accept us. He set us free from that. And he set us free from that by coming to this earth in the flesh and by living a perfect life for you and me, something that none of us have ever been able to do. And then if you were here last week, we said that Jesus went to the end of his life and he redeemed us. He set us free from having to be perfect, to be loved by God by paying a price to gain our freedom. And what price did he pay? Well, he laid his life down in our place for our sins. He suffered the consequence of imperfection for you and for me. You see, the Bible tells us that the result of sin or the consequence of imperfection, it's death, physical death and spiritual death, separation from God. And at the end of his life, Jesus Christ went to the cross and he died physically and he experienced hell spiritually so that you and I would never have to know what those things are like. He set us free from sin and death and hell, as we sang just a few moments ago, so that we could be loved, accepted by God fully and forever. That's what Jesus has done for us. Now, look back at this verse. Why did Jesus set us free? Why did he set us free? For freedom. He didn't set us free from sin and death and hell so that we could become slaves of God and God just bosses us around and we become depressed, lonely, miserable people. Which I know that's the perception of many people in our world and even people in churches all over the place. We'll talk about that in a few minutes. But Christ set us free to live in 
freedom. He set us free to experience joy in a relationship with him. He, he set us free to live a life of purpose and meaning while we're here on the earth. And I pray that this morning as we talk about freedom, man, that you'll leave just Man, maybe it's just a little bit better understanding what is yours because of what Jesus Christ has done for you. But listen, if we're going to understand um, our freedom in Christ more fully, what we also have to understand is this, is what freedom doesn't mean. Right? Like, we have to understand um, what Christ has not saved us to because there's a lot of misunderstanding, uh, even in the church world, when it comes to what freedom in Christ actually means. And so here's what I want to say. If you're here this morning and you hear, well, Christ set, me free, or, or Christ set me free in order to live in freedom, but I have no idea what that means, I want to give you two things, okay? Two things that it doesn't mean. So if you're taking notes, I want you to write down this first word. When somebody under, misunderstands the freedom that Christ has given them, one path that they can walk down is this path of license. And I'll give you a simple explanation for license, okay? If, you, if you're taking notes again, write this down. License, um, people that are kind of walking this path, they would say, since I'm free, since I've forgiven, I can do what I want. So people that live with this mentality are basically those people that say, Jesus set me free from having to be perfect in order to be loved by God. And since I don't have to be perfect anymore... That, man, I'm freed up to just do what I want, live how I want, and it doesn't really matter. Jesus has already paid for all that stuff. These are the people that walk around convinced that if God truly loves them, then he should stay out of their business and be hands-off when it comes to their life. You, you know those kind of people, right? Well, if God loves me, then why does he want to tell me who to be or what to do? Like, if he truly loves me, shouldn't he just kind of let me walk through life and do whatever I want to do. Well, listen to how Paul addresses this in verse 13 in chapter 5. He writes and he says, For you were called to freedom, brothers. Only don't use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. In other words, don't use the freedom that's yours in Christ to just do whatever it is you want. Now, I imagine there's got to be at least one person sitting here going, See, this is why I think Christianity's dumb. Like, this is my problem. Because I walk in this church and you tell me Christ has set me free and I have freedom and then you read a verse like that that says, whoa, 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 but you're only free to a point. Like you can't just walk around and do whatever you want. And to you, you're sitting here going, that doesn't sound free. This is why I don't want anything to do with it. Um, let me try to convince you why this verse makes complete sense, okay, and why this is a good thing. Uh, parents, let me ask you this question. Have you ever, if you have a kid, said to anyone around you, you know what, I love my kids so much that I just let my kid do whatever they want. Like, I let my kid make all their own decisions. Um, I let them set their own boundaries. I don't have any rules for them. I have absolutely no expectation of them. Like, I love my kids so much, and they're their own person, so I'm, I'm hands off. I stay out of their business. Like, what loving parent parents their kid that way? If you saw a parent parenting their kid that way, you'd be calling defects, right? Like, somebody's going to come steal this kid away. These parents are horrible. Like, I've got a two-year-old daughter at home, okay? And never have I once said, Rowan, girl, I, I just love you so much. Daddy wants you to be free. So, you, man, the house is yours. Roam freely. Get into anything. Listen, if that's how I express my love for my daughter, my daughter would not be alive right now, okay? And here's why. Because my daughter loves to get in the cabinets. My daughter loves to pull on cords and mess around with the wall sockets. My daughter loves to climb our stairs in our house. So you know what I did as a dad who loves my daughter? 
I went out and I bought a baby gate and I put it at the bottom of the stairs so she couldn't climb them. Uh, I went and bought outlet covers and put them in all the outlets in our house so she couldn't stick her little tiny fingers in those. And I went and bought locks for all the cabinets so that she couldn't get inside the cabinets. Now, again, I don't think any of you are sitting here going, James, you are a horrible father. Like, I cannot believe that you would strip your daughter of those freedoms as she's living in your house, right? No, you're sitting here thinking, James, wow, you sound like a pretty good dad, and I appreciate the encouragement. I really, really do, <laughs> right? Like, I don't think anybody's going, now your daughter can't drink the Windex. She can't roll down the steps if she wants to. Like, you're a horrible dad. No, good dads who love their kids set boundaries and rules for their kids so that their kids can live in freedom without anything going really, really bad for them. And listen to me, as we talked about last week, if you weren't here, God is a dad to us, and we are his children And in his love for us, he sent his son, Jesus, to die in our place, to set us free from having to be perfect, and to set us free from death and hell. But also in his love for us, he's given us certain things, certain rules, certain boundaries. He's asked us to do certain things and not to do other things because he wants to ensure that we experience freedom to the full, and he's not trying to strip us of anything. Like, you got to know that. God is a God who loves us so much that he wants to keep us away from things that could damage us, hurt us, destroy us. He wants to prevent us from walking down a path that could wreck our marriages, cause us to fall into unhealthy addictions. He wants to prevent us from, from living a life in which loneliness and despair take us over. You see, those are the things in a life church that truly kill and rob us of freedom. And God has set expectations around us and boundaries around us to prevent us from pursuing those things that could cause things to go really, really bad for us in life. God is a good dad. He loves his kids. And in his love for us, he tells us, don't just do whatever you want to do. So, listen, misunderstanding number one is license. When people misunderstand freedom, though, it it could lead them down a different path. And again, if you're taking notes, write this down. When people misunderstand freedom... It could potentially also lead them to walk down a path of legalism. Legalism. Now, if you're taking notes, write down this simple definition. I try to keep it really easy. Legalism is nothing more than following rules in order to earn something from God. So license, these things are opposite ends of the spectrum. License is, I'm loved, I'm free, I can do what I want. Um, legalism is, I think there's probably a whole lot more I have to do if God is really going to love me. Now, here's what's happened in a lot of churches where we live. And maybe you, like me, you grew up in a church that kind of leaned toward legalism. There are a lot of churches out there in which people and pastors, in fear, try to prevent people from walking down that path of license. And they do it by preaching and practicing legalism. And why do I say in fear? Well, well, here's why I say in fear. Because a lot of pastors out there are scared if they get up on a stage like this and they go, you're free. You don't have to be perfect for God. You don't have to live up to expectations to have God love you. Jesus has pulled all that off for you. Just trust in him and God will love and accept you. There's a lot of guys out there that are scared if they get up and they preach that message all the time that people will then become convinced I can do what I want. They'll walk down the pathway of license. So they present Christianity in such a way that causes people to believe if God's really going to love me, 
then I should follow this list of things. I should come to church all the time. I got to dress in a certain way, talk in a certain way, behave in a certain way. And the more I do that, the more God is going to be pleased with me. That's legalism. Now, let me tell you why legalism um, is a bad thing. It's crazy, crazy dangerous, insanely dangerous. And Paul tells us why it's dangerous in verses 2 through 4 of Galatians 5. Read this with me. He says, look, I, Paul, say to you that if you accept circumcision, Christ will be of no advantage to you. Remember what we've talked about in this series. Group of men coming into non-Jewish churches in this region of Galatia, and they're telling people there, if you want God to love you, you have to become Jewish first. Jesus isn't enough. Well, listen, men, part of becoming Jewish meant you had to be circumcised. So again, I've said this early in the series, I don't think many grown men were giving their life to Jesus back in that day, right? Imagine that altar call. Come forward, little surgery, we'll fix you up. Paul says if you accept that, if you buy into legalism, if you follow this thing and do this thing because you believe it's going to result in God's acceptance of you, listen to this, he says Christ will be of no advantage to you. You know why legalism is so dangerous? Because it basically says to Jesus, I don't need you anymore. Jesus, I don't need, I've got this. Like, I know what you came here to do for me, but I don't really need what you've done for me because I can do it on my own. I can earn God's acceptance by myself. And Paul says, I testify again, anybody, every man who accepts circumcision, he's obligated to keep the whole law. So he goes, you want to start following rules to earn God's acceptance? Follow the whole thing. You better keep the whole thing perfectly all the time. That's the only way you're going to pull it off. And he goes on. He says, you're severed from Christ. You who would be justified or made acceptable to God by the law, by following rules. And he says, you've fallen away from grace. Legalism, crazy, dangerous, because it forces us to depend on ourselves over Christ when it comes to the love and acceptance of God. None of us should want to walk that pathway. Now, let me give you three expressions of legalism so that you can understand how this plays out in real life in today's world and in a lot of our churches, sometimes even ours. Um, let me throw this list up. Uh, some legalists, they operate with this mentality. I follow rules to earn God's grace. So uh, that would characterize and describe a person who, again, might act in a certain way, behave in a certain way, dress a certain way, hold fast to a certain morality, and believe that by doing so, they are working their way into God's good graces, and they are earning his acceptance. Now, um, I know that there are some of you, and probably several of you, who go, well, James, that's not me. Like, man, I, I've been in church a while. I know that I can't earn salvation for myself. That's Jesus' job, not mine. But look at me. Let me ask you this question. What do you think keeps you in God's good graces? Do you think it's Jesus or do you think it's your behavior? You see, I, I think last week, if you were here, what we saw is this. Is that there were a lot of us in the room who walked in and we were legalists and we didn't even know we were. You see, I, I loved what we saw last week. I loved last week seeing so many of you guys who at the beginning of our time together wrote these negative words about how you believe God viewed you. And at the end of the service, you came up here and you ripped them up and you threw them away and you declared, I am a son of God. I am loved and I'm accepted. And you did that as a declaration of freedom. But listen to me, you walked in the room last week, a lot of you, as a legalist and you didn't even realize it. Why? 
Because even though you may have believed that Jesus loved you enough to save you from hell, you started believing somewhere along the way that God's acceptance of you depended on your behavior and not in Jesus. You started believing that staying in the grace of God depended on your behavior and not on what Jesus has done for you. And you see, God's grace, it's, it's all about him. It's not about you. Um, another expression of legalism is this. I follow rules to earn God's blessing. So there's a lot of people in our world and in our church world who believe that if they behave in a certain way, act in a certain way, dress a certain way, that God is just going to pour all of his blessings out on their lives. And so people who buy into this form of legalism, like their life verse, their favorite verse from the Bible is usually Psalm 37, 4. You know that verse? Delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. So a legalist who believes, I will work hard and I will earn God's blessing by following rules. What they'll do is they'll take that verse and they'll twist it and they'll misunderstand it. And they will read it to say something like this. They'll read it to say, um, if I want the desires of my heart, then I have to delight in God. They flip it on its head. And so here's what they'll do. They'll get out like their pen and paper and go, okay, what are the desires of my heart? Well, I'd like a nicer house and a nicer car and a raise at work and for my husband to quit acting like a moron and I'd like for my kids to obey and start listening. Those are the desires. And so then what they'll do is they'll post it on their fridge, you know, and then they'll get to delighting. They'll go, man, I'm gonna read my Bible. I'm gonna pray. I'm gonna come to church. I'm even gonna lift my hands during worship. I'm gonna give some. I'm gonna serve in the community and they'll get to delighting. And then there will come a point where they will sit back and go, Okay, God, how much delighting do I have to do before you start giving me the desires of my heart? And they'll start believing, I'm working really hard, I'm following the rules, I'm at church all the time. God, where's the race? Why do my kids still tear the house down every day? Why am I not making more money, right? Like, that's what they'll fall into. And I just need to clear the air, okay? Can we clear the air this morning and just all agree, stay with me, that God doesn't owe us anything like, listen to me, if anything, we are ill-deserving when it comes to God. Like, what we deserve from God is to die in our sin as hopeless people on our way to hell, separated from him for all of eternity. But God killed his son for us so that we could know freedom and so that we could know him and live with him for eternity. And like we said last week, all of his blessings are ours because we're his kids. Some of those things we'll experience in this life but we'll experience all of those things fully in the next life. You see, legalism is dangerous because it causes us to live with this mentality of, God, you owe me. And I can't tell you how many people I have watched over the last 12 years in ministry walk out on God, walk out on the church because they've come to a point where they've said, God, I've been delighting, I've been working, I've been doing all the right things, and you haven't come through for me. They've forgotten about Jesus. And so they bolt, man, they walk out. If God is a God who doesn't want to give me what I think he owes me, when I'm doing all this hard work, I don't want that kind of God. Well, he's not that kind of God, and he loves you and accepts you because of Jesus. And if you're his son, all that he has is yours. But you might have to hold on a little while to get it. Don't fall in the legalism. Um, the last one. This is another expression. I follow rules to earn God's favoritism. Uh, have you ever met those people who are like the professional church members? You would know if you've met them. Um, they walk around like they are God's gift to the church world, right? They are amazing and awesome at all things religious. 
And if you're that person, don't be offended. We love you. We're gonna pray for you at the end of the service today. Um, I'm kidding, I'm kidding. But listen, there are those people who truly believe because they're working hard, they're following rules, they're doing all the right churchy things, they will start to believe that there is no way that God can't love them more than everybody else around them. And they'll be like killing the church deal and they'll come before God and say, God, no way you don't love me more than these people. Like, I mean, I'm sure I pray at least an hour longer than they do each day. I give more money. I serve at everything, and they don't serve at anything. I raise my hands in worship, and they don't. God, you have to love me more than them. I have to be your favorite. That's legalism. It's legalism. Parents, let me ask you this question, and don't be offended by it. Do you have a favorite kid if you have more than one kid? I just got weird in the room, right? Everybody's like... <laughs> Why are you asking me? My kid's sitting right next to me. Um, Just smile and look for, you have a favorite kid? Like we all love our kids, right? Um, But there are times, there are times when probably one of them is your favorite because they listen and they obey and they do what you ask them and the other one's not doing any of that stuff and you want to kill them. And so like, you know, along the way, there's probably favorites that come up. Here's why God is a better parent than all of us in the room. It's because he truly has no favorites. He loves us all the same as his kids. You see, God doesn't love any of us more um, because of what we do and don't do. He doesn't love any of us in the room more because of how many times we're in church each week, how we dress, how good we are at following rules. You see, God loves us not because of what we do and don't do. He loves us because of who we are. And if you know Jesus, as we talked about last week, you are his son. You're in his family. And that's why I loves you. And women, if you're going, why aren't you calling me daughters? Westridge.com, watch the message from last week, and we talked about that. But you're a part of the family of God if you know Jesus. You see, here's what legalism causes us to forget. Legalism causes us to forget that the grace of God, the blessing of God, and the oneness when it comes to being in God's family, all of these things are already ours because of what Jesus has done for us, and none of us have to work to pull any of these things off in our own life. You see, I equate a legalist to like a prisoner sitting in an open jail cell, and they desperately want to get out. Think about how crazy that picture is. Think about a prisoner sitting in a jail with the door wide open going, wish I was free. Forming like shanks and spoons trying to dig their way out the back wall. Wish I could get out of here. That's a legalist. A legalist is free in Jesus and they don't even realize it. So they're working hard to pull off something for themselves that's already theirs. And in the process, they just end up looking ridiculous. And so I'm telling you, don't latch on to legalism. You forget Jesus, and when you forget Jesus, you depend on you, and you will always let yourself down. Always. Um, Here's what I want to do as we get ready to wrap up. I want us to talk about where an understanding of freedom should lead us, a true understanding of freedom. Uh, The problem with license and legalism is that these mentalities and these pathways are marked by self-centeredness through and through. They're self-centered, they're self-indulgent. I mean, think about it. License. I can do what I want. Who's that focused on? You. Legalism. Who's that focused on? I'm going to follow rules to earn something from God. It's focused on you. It's not focused on Him, right? You're not following rules or obeying commands because you love Him. You're doing those things because you want something from Him. Legalism uses God. And it also does what? Seeks to elevate self over others. 
So the problem with those mentalities is it's totally focused on self. But listen to me. When you truly understand freedom, when you understand that Christ died to set you free from having to impress God, from having to impress people around you, you know what it frees you up to do? It frees you up to start forgetting about yourself. It frees you up to start thinking about yourself less. It frees you up to be that disciple that Jesus calls us all to be in Luke 9, 23, where he says, if you want to be my follower, then deny yourself. That word literally means forget about yourself. Take up your cross, live in obedience, and just come and follow me. And so when we start to forget about self, that selflessness that is a result of us understanding our freedom in Christ, it expresses itself in love. Love toward who? Well, first, love toward God. It expresses itself in love for God. This past month, the month of April, it was like a crazy busy month for me. I was gone a lot, away from my family. Uh, I had a speaking engagement in Florida. I had a conference that I went to, a pastor's conference, and then I had staff retreat. And so I missed seeing my wife and my daughter. And have any of you guys heard that statement, absence makes the heart grow fonder, right? Like I felt like I experienced that this past month. I would call my wife at night and go, Two more nights, only two more nights. I'd listen to my daughter speak. And when you're away from someone that you love, it's almost like your love for them intensifies, doesn't it? You can't wait to be with them again. Well, Paul in Galatians 5, verses 5 and 6, he's painting a picture of the same thing for you and I when it comes to Jesus, if we truly know him. Here's what he says. For through the Spirit, by faith, we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. He's describing Jesus here. He's referring to the future day when you and I who know Jesus will see him face to face and be made like him. And he goes on and he says, for in Christ, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything. So following rules, doing religious stuff, it doesn't matter. The only thing that matters is faith working through love. So Paul is kind of painting this picture, right? of us eagerly awaiting that day when we see Christ. And he's not just saying we just kind of sit back and we go, yeah, yeah, I know it's coming. I know it'll get here eventually. Like he's painting this picture for someone to eagerly await something. It means we wake up and we think about it all the time. Like we're obsessed with it. We can't wait for it to get here. So the picture is, for those of us who know freedom in Christ, true freedom, we've been set free and we know we don't have to be perfect for God. We don't have to impress others. We wake up every day and we think about Jesus, and we think about what he's done for us, and we think about all that is ours through him. And every day we wake up, like those thoughts, man, it starts expressing itself in greater love for him. Can't wait to see him, can't wait to be with him, and you press on toward that day. And listen, when you love God, you know what happens? You obey him. You do the things that he says. And when you obey God, listen to me, this is important for some of you to hear. When you actually obey God and you start to pursue the life he has for you, you don't lose freedom, you gain it. That's the amazing thing about the life that God wants to offer you. But not only does freedom result in selflessness expressed in love for God, but it also expresses itself in love for others. I took this class in college. It was one of my psychology classes. and It was a class on altruism. And if you don't know what altruism is, here's a simple definition. Altruism is just the selfless service of others. So to say a person is altruistic 
it means that someone is capable of serving and loving another human being without any type of expectation when it comes to self. So that even means you're able to serve someone else without wanting a pat on the back. Uh, You're able to serve someone else without the need of like, I'm doing this because I want to feel good about what I did. So I remember the first day our professor asked us this question. He said, can a person truly be altruistic? And he asked us to write the answer down on a piece of paper and to turn it in. And I'm sitting there thinking, I'm like, have I ever served anyone completely selflessly? Not thinking about myself at all, even an ounce, a little bit. And I'm going, man, at that point, I'm a freshman in college. I go, I don't know if I have. I've always at least had that thought of like, that made me feel really good. I'm glad I did that, right? And so I remember I wrote on my paper, I don't think anybody can truly be altruistic. And I turned it in. Well, I just want to share with you this. Paul points to a different answer here in this passage that lets us know that this is completely possible for us as followers of Jesus, of sons of God. In verses 13 and 14, listen to what he says. For you are called to freedom. Only don't use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Let me ask you this question. Did Jesus Christ die to set us free because of the value that we could add to him? Think about it. What can we offer God? Really? Like, we don't have anything to offer him to make him better, do we? You see, Jesus Christ came to this earth, and he loved us, and he served us for our sake, not his sake. He was selfless in what he did for us. And listen to me. When we know Jesus, we are able to serve and to love people in the same way. When you understand freedom and you know, I don't have to serve people around me to impress God. I don't have to serve people around me just because I want a pat on the back. God already accepts me and loves me. I'm just going to go serve and love people for their sake, not my own. I want to love them because I want them to know how Jesus loves them. I want to serve them because I want to be able to set myself up to share the good news of Jesus with them. See, when you truly understand your freedom, you can pull off that selfless service of those around you, not for your benefit, but for theirs. This is how freedom expresses itself in the greatest commandment in that form, loving God and loving people. So here's my question I just want us to close with. Who are you this morning? Are you somebody who's walking the path of license? I'm free, I can just do what I want. Um, Are you a legalist? Did you walk in the room this morning believing, I've got to follow rules if I'm going to earn something from God? Or do you get you're free? Do you get that you're truly free in Christ? And is that expressing itself in true love and obedience to God and true love and service of others? I just want to ask us if we can just to bow our heads, close our eyes. And I just want you to ask God that question right now in prayer. God, show me who I am. Show me who I am. Father, speak to our hearts in this moment. Show us who we are. God, for those of us that are walking the pathway of license and legalism, God, rescue us from that. Set us free from that. Help us to know, God, that you have called us to a much greater life. God, if there's somebody in the room that doesn't know you, I pray you show that to them right now. 
we're going to get ready to close with communion and a song in a moment. But if you don't know Jesus, if you've never accepted his gift of eternal life and forgiveness of sins, I just want to invite you to say something like this to him right now in prayer. Just say, God, I know I've made mistakes. I know I'm a sinful person. But God, I believe that's why you sent Jesus to set me free from those things so that I could know you, be loved by you, and have eternal life with you. So God, I am accepting that gift, God, that you promised to give me if I ask for it. God, set me free today and help me to love you and help me to love people like Jesus has loved me. Father, be with our time. We pray it's honoring to you above all else. And we pray this in your name. Listen, we have communion tables in the front and in the back, um, people sitting under the overhang. We have a table set up specifically for you, and our host team is going to come get in place, and they're going to dismiss us row by row to take communion together this morning. Um, I always say communion is a huge deal for us. This is our celebration of Jesus and what he's done, and it is our declaration that we want to honor what he's done for us through living lives of love and obedience to him. And so we want to take it in a worthy manner. If you feel like you're here this morning and you can't do this in a worthy manner, listen, let us pray for you. Hang out in your seat. Whatever it is you need from us, let us know. All right? And we want to help and pray for you. Um, but for the rest of us, let's take this seriously. Um, let's worship Jesus through this simple act. And Matt and the band are going to lead us in one last song before we go. So host team, I'm going to turn it over to you.